This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Going forward, Conservative Party of Canada looking forward to a leadership contest. At the end of June, uh, they'll have made their decision. People throwing their hats in the ring, others recusing themselves. Peter McKay is one such. We've known him in three major portfolios. He was in the government uh, from 1997 to 2015, or at least in the Conservative Party that uh, was in the House of Commons at the time, uh, as I say, with three major portfolios. Peter McKay choosing to run, uh, and some are saying it's his to lose. Let's find out exactly what he has on offer. Mr. McKay, a pleasure to have you on The Oakley Show. Thanks very much, John. Good to be on with you. Listen, uh, I've got to ask, first of all, because I know uh, you had famously said, or it was described to you, that uh, in the last election, Andrew Scheer, uh, what it, it was likened to missing scoring on an open net. Uh, so in your estimation, where did the party fall short last time specifically? Well, I think it was the specificity. Um, we didn't come forward, at least in the minds of most Canadians, with a comprehensive plan to address some of the important environmental issues around climate change. I think that we got labeled, Andrew specifically, but the party more broadly, as being intolerant on some social issues. I don't agree with that assessment. I think it was inaccurate, but there it is. And so we have to move away from some of these old debates where we have been mischaracterized as reversing or revisiting or removing rights. That's not the Conservative Party that uh, that I want to be a part of or that I want to build. And quite frankly, uh, I, I think it's time we move past some of these debates because they are in the past, and we, we need to embrace Canadians. We need to be reflective of where Canadians are and how they see themselves. And no matter where they live, no matter who they love, we're uh, we're a party that's inclusive. So, uh, are you talking then about uh, out of necessity reinventing conservatism, the Conservative Party, uh, rehabilitating it, rejigging it? I don't know. Uh, how do you see that task ahead? John, I'd describe it more as as modernizing and ensuring that we're a party that projects smart policy that's in line with where Canada's needs really lie. And that means addressing some of the shortcomings in economic policy that we've seen, trade deficits and uh, lack of direct foreign investment that used to be coming to Canada. We're not seen as a competitive and compelling place to invest anymore. And that can be addressed by changing some of the high-tax, high-regulation policies. We're also seen, in, in some cases, as a country that's out of step with what's going on in other parts of the world. We can't get our resources to market. We're not taking advantage of existing trade deals with the European Union, as one example. And we can't move one of our greatest natural assets, liquefied natural gas, to markets in places like China, places like India, Pakistan, parts of Europe, where we could actually compete with Russia and others that don't follow tight regulations, that are not respectful of the environment, reap the rewards of that in our own country, not to mention all of the jobs and new technology. We could share that with our First Nations. And then we could use those returns on investment to put it into new technologies that are going to supply a better way in the future when we move away from fossil fuels. So you seem to be suggesting that there's a, a lot of room to distinguish yourselves as a party and you as a leader from Justin Trudeau's Liberals. Yes, I believe so. And, and that's more than just communications and rebranding. I think we need to be bold. We need to be thoughtful. We need to look at our policies and how they, they really affect and in some ways hold Canadians back. That's not the country that people uh, envision when they think of Canada. And uh, I think it's a bit of reprioritizing government, and in some cases getting government out of the way, you know, stepping back from, uh, from a government that seems to be moving more and more towards a socialist model that has been one of the biggest failures of the 20th century. So what does conservatism mean to you, by the way? 
Well, it means less government. It means more independence. It means creating the space for the private sector to do its work. It means ensuring that we have a, a competitive economy. It means having a responsible role in the world. It means essentially creating an environment where Canadians can do more for themselves. All right. And so you had said earlier, uh, not in so many words, but not reinforcing certain historical tropes affiliated with conservatism or the right wing. Uh, you're modernizing. Modernizing. Yeah, being respectful, being uh, certainly available to Canadians when they need us. But honestly, I really think that a modern conservative party, and we can look at other countries to, uh, to borrow from and to enhance our, our own policies. The UK is, uh, is a country uh, in particular where the conservative movement has done very well in spite of all of the, the problems that they wrestled with uh, over Brexit over the last number of years. Uh, in terms of thoughtful policy and how they've repositioned people's impressions of Conservatives, I, I think there's a lot to learn when we look outside our borders. And again, with Peter McKay running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, another key area where uh, it seems the last election was won or lost, Quebec and the 905, the GTA. Uh, how would you gain riding support? I mean, the numbers we know, uh, popular vote went to the Conservatives, but still, uh, it's just like in America, you know, you've got to win the Electoral College. How are you going to make a dent in uh, ridings in the GTA in Quebec? Well, I think a lot of it is what we've just been talking about, ensuring that the policy positions don't scare people, turn them off, or send them back to the, the so-called devil they know. I think uh, Conservatives and our Conservative movement has to be seen as a party of solutions, a party that's a reflection of the, the face of the nation. We cannot in any way be seen as intolerant, anti-immigrant, anti-anybody or anything. If it isn't uh, in the best interests of Canada, we should be respectful of anybody's views. Um, that is, again, part of the, the modernization and uh, putting, putting Canada in line with, uh, with the party that began the country, the party that uh, really brought it all together. And we, we are also the party of unity. But we need to be unified ourselves, and we have to be coherent, as I said, on some of the major issues, including the environment. And for young people, that's, uh, that's a major preoccupation, as it should be. And we have to show that we're, we're there, we're thoughtful, we're compassionate, we're thinking of those issues as well. But most importantly, um, you know, there's all kinds of labels that will get attached to me and to the party. But I, I'm a pragmatist. I, I want to see things done. I want to see us uh, doing things that improve people's lives, move the country forward, and put Canada in a better place to do more for Canadians and therefore do more for the world. Peter, you mentioned several large files, so let's just tick them off quickly. Uh, on this matter of climate policy, we know uh, what the Liberal position is, and, you know, of course, the uh, carbon tax has become a real bugaboo for uh, a variety of, well, a number of premiers, our own here, Doug Ford, and uh, we certainly know what's going on out west. So how do you distinguish yourself from the Liberals when it comes to addressing that concern? Well, that's a, that's a fine line to walk because, you know, the minute you say not carbon tax, they say, well, what else and why are you a climate change denier? Uh, we need to stop this vilification of anybody who, who questions policy positions. And I think it's pretty well established now that the carbon tax, as it's been implemented, has not reduced greenhouse gases, has not had the desired effect, or at least not the effect that it was presented uh, as having. And there are other ways. Technology is, of course, part of it. Uh, even Alberta is talking about a form of carbon pricing that would affect the big emitters, which is where the problem really lies. You know, with our forest, with our low manufacturing footprint, we're not the problem. 
I know we're, we are still, of course, in parts of the country using coal and, uh, and fuels that are, are causing some emissions, but we're not the big problem. We can be the big solution if we do it right, if we provide liquefied natural gas to some parts of the world, but technology is going to be the solution. We know we're going to crack that proverbial atom eventually, and just as we've seen in the past, Canada be- can become really a world leader in things like carbon capture and storage and some of the technologies that have actually had a profound impact on lessening greenhouse greenhouse gas emissions. A lot of that sounds uh, very similar to what was on offer from Andrew Scheer. So uh, I guess you're going to replicate some of his policy initiatives. Maybe it's just... Well, if they're policy initiatives that that work, uh, we have to, I think, communicate better and, and forcefully in a way that actually resonates and get the facts out there, insert ourselves in the discussion in a meaningful way, and things like a corridor, not just for energy, but an economic corridor that brings uh, goods, services, goods uh, that matter right across the country, break down provincial barriers. But we've got to, you know, we have to be part of that debate that uh, that is respectful and fact-based, not one that is uh, meant to be, you know, so philosophically divisive and vilifying anybody on one side of the debate or the other. Yeah, I don't understand why we continue to have this uh, discussion about interprovincial trade and nothing's being done about it. Uh, there are economists who say that would bump up our GDP rather significantly. Uh, where is the impediment to tearing these trade barriers down? Well, it's, uh, it lies in leadership and the ability to say that this is a national imperative that's going to happen. We've had some decisions, frankly, John, out of the Supreme Court that have set us back on that file because you're right, the, uh, the impact on our GDP would be enormous, billions of dollars in the short term, uh, if we're able to break that down. Not, not just to mention uh, as well the fairness of being able to have professions recognized in different provinces. Uh, you know, when you can't bring a, a case of beer from New Brunswick to Quebec without facing uh, sanctions, you know, this is, uh, this is crazy when you think about the trade that goes on in a place like the European Union across many countries. I guess that would be a constitutional issue that would have to it be amended. Constitutional issue. Well, constitutional issues that need to be amended can sometimes be regulated in other ways. And uh, I think if you can get agreement amongst provinces and sit down and talk about these things in a rational environment, you know, you can move mountains and pipelines. Again, with Peter McKay uh, running for the leadership of the Conservative Party, you said something else uh, perhaps that got affixed, whether it was fairly or no, to uh, the Conservative Party and its image was immigration, and uh, you're not going to vilify immigrants now. The Conservative, uh, rather the Liberal plan, is to uh, bump that up to about 450,000 annually uh, immigrants to this country, uh, whereas it stands now about uh, 325, I think, if memory serves. Uh, You in favor of that? Well, I'm not going to put a random number on it, and I think that the number that has been placed out there is uh, is akin to what happened, what we saw with, with Syrian refugees uh, in the 2015 election, where it became almost a bidding war, which is kind of crass when you think uh, about how it should be calibrated to the economic needs of the country. Now, refugees are in a different category, but my, my point is that on immigration, again, we need to be rational, dispassionate, and talk about what's good for Canada, but also our obligations internationally, and how we're going to marry those those two competing sometimes needs, but also the needs of, of uh, our country more broadly. There's places in, in Canada that uh, are crying out for people, skilled workers, people who are able to come to the country, live a better life, contribute. Uh, this is an important discussion, but again, anybody who even puts up their hand and questions government policy is, is, is 
inclined not to do so for fear of being branded a racist. Uh, we got to stop that. Well, it was interesting because the last leadership contest, Kelly Leach, uh, drew a lot of heat initially for talking about Canadian values when it comes to uh, people coming to this country. Are there core Canadian values to your mind? Yeah, I think there are. Absolutely. Hard work, sincerity, inclusivity, these are all Canadian values and they're good values. But I don't know whether you make that a specific criteria when you're talking about entry, but there are certain considerations that we should have as a government, as a society. And nobody's saying don't come to Canada. Um, we're saying do it in, a, in an orderly and, and respectful way. Don't, don't not come in, just use the front door. Right, and you would reinforce those values. Absolutely. I think it's important that we, uh, as a country, uh, have a say over how immigration works, and we do. Uh, so there's a bit of an esoteric uh, side of this argument that I think gets dragged into the mud by, by politics. And I think, you know, most Canadians are very mindful of the fact that everybody in this country, with the exception of our First Nations, came from somewhere. And uh, many people came here to get away from the terrible circumstances that they were living in in their own countries. Peter, let me ask you finally, uh, very quickly, on foreign policy, uh, because that was one of your portfolios. How do you deal with China on the two Michaels? Uh, Do you criticize the government for dragging their feet on this, and those guys are languishing now for over a year? Well, I think that there is some room for for constructive criticism. Um, We are in a tough spot as the United States and China continue to push back and forth on their big trade dispute. And we're also in a, in a difficult place uh, in terms of trade sanctions that we have suffered as a result of this fraying of relationships with, uh, with China and, frankly, other countries as well. The consular issues, in my experience, at the, the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, have always been delicate and always require a very deft uh, diplomatic intervention, but it has to be direct and it has to be at the highest levels of government. I'm not in a position to say how much of that has happened. I know it is happening. Uh, It clearly hasn't worked thus far. Uh, We have all of these issues conflated, that is to say the extradition of a Chinese citizen in custody here to the United States and that ongoing legal process. We have the Huawei 5G decision that is still pending here in Canada with respect to China's offering from Huawei. Uh, this makes it very, very difficult and hard to thread the needle while Mr. Corbrig and Mr. Spaver are, are languishing. Uh, and we know that uh, our treatment, our human rights, our, our system of justice is much different than theirs. And so there's much at stake. And it's not just those two uh, Canadians in their custody. There are other Canadians there as well. Well, there's so much more to discuss and address, but we'll have to leave it for now. On another occasion, I'll look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure. You got it. Peter McKay, again, uh, he has decided he's going to step into the ring and uh, wants to contest for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. That, by the way, uh, the convention and decision is June 27th, so there's still a lot of room between now and then. But on the other hand, uh, they've got to make up their minds quickly because a minority government could fall on a confidence vote, and uh, then we'd be back to the polls. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.